you would uh, give the worship team, just honor them with a hand clap. Man, they work so hard. They're rolling in here early in the morning, <laughs> hammering through. And I know today they really uh, worked hard and finished. It was after 10 o'clock before they were done with their practice. I think they started around 8. And, uh, of course, they practice on Thursday nights as well. But uh, they worked very hard. Um, you know, th- most of them didn't go to school to be musicians. And so, uh, you know, uh, they have to work really hard at it. And it's so easy for us to set out here sometimes and be like, man, they missed the note or whatever. But... May that never be what we're taken with. May we always be taken with the songs that we're singing and the heart that we're singing with. Amen. They did a great job. Um, So we're carrying on in our uh, series, Understanding Jesus. Uh, The first week I talked a lot about uh, how misunderstood Jesus is. Um, That, you know, he was misunderstood by the powers that be. He was misunderstood by the Pharisees and Sadducees, if you will. He was misunderstood by his disciples and he is oftentimes without question, misunderstood by us. Can you say amen? And so we've looked at a lot of different stories where he was misunderstood. And then last week I talked about uh, Jesus the healer, uh, understanding Jesus the healer, and that he wants to heal us. Uh, It is his desire to heal us. The question is, is do we believe that Jesus wants to heal us? Do we misunderstand what it means that Jesus wants to heal us? And so um, we looked at that last week, and this week I want to uh, move into uh, this uh, title, Jesus the Mender. Now, it kind of flows out of Jesus the Healer very well because to heal is to mend. You'll find in a moment when I share the definition of this word, word heal is one of the words that's a synonym for mender. And so when we take a look at Jesus the Mender, it's important to understand our scripture for this series has been John eight thirty one through 32 Because when we understand Jesus, when we know the truth and we understand Jesus, then we get all the benefits that come with it. So let me read that passage. John 8, 31 through 32. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. That's, you got to remain faithful if you're ever going to understand the teachings of Jesus. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now I've talked about Uh, being set free, that we're free in our life, that we have the liberty that Christ comes to bring, that we have that freedom as long as we know the truth, as long as we understand the teachings of Jesus. When we understand the teachings of Jesus, we we have this revelation that comes from the Holy Spirit, the inspired Word of God, that it becomes a revelation to us, and all of a sudden, we are able to live it. I've found that wherever the anointing of God where the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is at work in my life, I don't struggle to live the Word of God out in that area of my life. Come on, somebody. It's actually, I find it, it's not as much me as it is God in me helping me to live that out. And so it's very, very important for us to be able to gain that revelation, to know the truth, not just, you know, have the information of the truth, but to know it in that knowing is understanding what it is to live it. The greatest thing we can do to understand Jesus is yield to the Spirit of God. Let the Spirit of God fill you day by day. Do you know you're not supposed to be filled once with the Spirit of God? Did you know that? You get saved, but it's the Spirit of God that brings you back to life. You're you're regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit, born again. But, you know, we're supposed to be filled day by day. Every single day, we need to be open to, Holy Spirit, fill me today. 
Fill me today so that it's not me living as much as you living in me. So that my life then is a reflection of God's glory. Not a reflection of, quote unquote, my mistakes or failures or so on. You ever notice how some people get so bound up in condemnation. Bound up in what they can't do. That they're not able to yield over to understand that while you are not able to do it. What we were just saying. That God is able. He's more than able to empower us to live the life that Christ came and died on the cross to provide. Amen? So, uh, as I spoke about Jesus the healer, Jesus wants to heal us, and it's why he came to the earth in the first place. To set things on course with a restored relationship with God first, and he came to mend what was broken. Think about our world today. So much brokenness. Every single one of us in here have something... An area, something that's broke, something that we're seeking uh, to be better or something that we're seeking to, uh, to operate better or to uh, work better in our life, be it relationships, be it our health, whatever it may be, that we're seeking for the mending of God to come and mend that area so that we can live it to the fullest, right? He came to give us life and life in small portions, right? abundantly yeah and i've said this so often how many wake up in the morning like i hope my life is really limited today (laughs) most of us wake up and and we want to have hope for our future we want to have hope for what's going to go on in our day we're not we don't wake up going i hope today goes really bad we wake up and we think i hope today goes really good and if anything a reflection back on that didn't go good yesterday or this didn't go good the day before and i don't want that to be my today or tomorrow right we're always looking forward for life to get better and most of us work very very hard for life to be better isn't that right and so if we can come to the place of recognizing that Jesus came to mend areas of our life so that we can experience that not so much by all of our effort but rather by our trust and our faith in him working in us then what happens is our approach to those situations in life those broken areas of our life our approach is much, much different than the world. Well, the world may look at it and, and not have hope. Uh, no believer, let me go back and read this again because I don't know if you're, you're tracking here. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, if you remain faithful to my teachings, right, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. That to the believer, the believer should never see any situation in their life. No broken situation in your life that is, that is not capable of being mended by Jesus Christ. Write that down. Right? Just look at your paper right now. No broken area in my life. No broken area in my life should be looked at as impossible for Jesus to mend. He's capable of mending anything in our life. Amen. You know, all you got to do is turn the TV on, go out in society a little bit, walk around. Anybody else a people watcher? I love to watch people. Well, let me say this. I love to watch, I'm a people watcher, so I love to watch people, but I'm not often um, inspired or... um, how can I say it? Sometimes I'm very disappointed in what I see. 
I see broken things all around me. Now, I see good things too, but I'm saying from the gospel perspective that Jesus came as a physician for those in need. So oftentimes when I'm watching, I'm observing, and I'm seeing these broken things. I don't know about you. I'm at the grocery store, and I see a kid who in hope wants that candy. (laughs) Come on. We've all dealt with it. And a mom jerking her kid along, slapping her kid in the back of the head. And then my heart just, just breaks for that situation. Your heart begins to be filled with compassion for the situation. You almost just want to go and jerk her around and get the kid away from her. So that child does not have to endure that. And I get that kids need discipline, but they don't need abuse. Amen? And I see something like that, and what I see is I see brokenness. Something broken in her leads to breaking her own child, and that will lead to that child having brokenness as they grow up if it continues, amen? When I turn on the news and I see all the back and forth going on from nation to nation, and, and we're going to bomb you, uh, we're going to bomb you, and if you bomb us, we'll bomb you. I get the sovereignty of nations, and I get the, the defense, and you all know that I served in the military for the most part, and I'm a patriot. I love my country. You all know that Jesus is the one that said, they that live by the sword will die by the sword. You know that was Jesus that said that, right? So while war is inevitable you know, on many fronts and many situations, um, it's not like it's desired. Anybody desire war to happen? I certainly do not desire war. There, there's too much brokenness that comes. And I think about some of the folks I've served with, when I think about troops that have come back, some people that attend right here at Gateway Church that come back and they deal with such you know, PTSD, that their lives are not normal anymore. There's brokenness. There's brokenness all around us. We look at our college campuses and we see all the protesting and the fighting and the window breaking and the violence and the fires and you know, burning flags and going to kneel in the NFL, shouldn't kneel in the NFL and all this junk going on in our society today, it's all brokenness. The world is broken. And the reason why Jesus came was to mend it. Now when I say mend the world, you understand that this world itself is going to, it's marching towards an end, but that end you know, is a reflection back and a reflection forward. When that end comes, it's all going to be measured back to the cross. Did we accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our sins, for, for how broken we are? Did we accept his sacrifice to mend us? Let me say this. Did, did we accept this sacrifice that our relationship with the Father would be mended? Have we been born again? Pastor, are you saying that, that salvation in Jesus and through him alone and no other religion in the world, Buddha, you know, Hare Krishna, you know, Islam, aren't those all equal? That's the challenge we're in, isn't it? The great divide in our world today is a is really a, a guy by the name of Dinesh D'Souza said it, and really he did, all he did was capture what Jesus said. There'd be wars and rumors of wars, pestilence, you know, uh, earthquakes in divers places, and uh, 
floods. And so, you know, Jesus, all this stuff we see in Houston and Florida and the Caribbean and Mexico City and, yeah, none of that's new. Jesus said all this is going to happen and then the end will come. Uh, those things have happened before. Scientists say they're, they're on a pace, though, that's, that's really, um, you know, that the past pales in comparison to what we see today. All the brokenness around us, Jesus is the only answer. And yet in our day and age, the time that we live in, to stand up and say Jesus is the only answer, come on somebody, to say Jesus is the only answer makes you what? Makes you what? Intolerant, isn't that right? Unaccepting of other people and their ideas and their beliefs and so on. Here's my thing. Um, If they want to believe that way, that's their free will choice. God gave it to them. I'm not trying to take that away. All I'm going to do is proclaim the gospel just as I've been commissioned by Jesus to do. Come on now. And all those who would live godly in this age will suffer persecution. America hasn't seen a lot of it, and it's been coming on more and more, bit by bit. And I want to tell you, as the church, it's not going to go away. It's only going to increase. The Bible says that the the world, see, it's going to get darker and darker while the church should become lighter and lighter. Make no mistake about it, some people will be like, yeah, I'm not in for that. I, I signed on for this Jesus saving me thing, but, but persecution or ridicule or putting me down, I, I'm just not into that. So I'm going to kind of go over to the crowd that, oh, you know what, everybody, let's just be tolerant of everybody and all religions are the same. I'm going to just tell you, all religions, religion may be the same, but I can tell you this, salvation in the kingdom of God, there is only one way and that's through Jesus Christ. That message is going to become a whole lot more um, criticized as time goes on in America. And some people are like, well, no, no, Trump's in there and he's turning things around. Do you think that Trump will change what the end of the world's going to look like? Anybody? Do you think he can buy some time if, if God's graced him to make some changes that, that, that's favorable to the church? Yes, he can. Yes, he can. Is my hope placed in Trump? No, it's not. Is it in any political leader? No, it's not. You want to know why? Because it's broken. It's broken. As good as it is, it is still man as a whole. And when we begin to look to government, look, the children of Israel, God would speak his word to them, And that wasn't good enough for them. Guess what they wanted? They wanted what? A king. And they got their king. And when they got their king, they got everything else that came with their king. Corruption. They got got a broken system in many ways as it moved further and further. Why? Because God said to them, look, I wanted to be your God and you my children. I wanted you to look to me, not to man. And so often what happens, we look to man to fix our brokenness, and man will never fix our brokenness. Man can, can, can stand as, as a uh, not go-between. We don't, go, we don't go to a priest. You don't go to your pastor to get to God. You go to Jesus Christ and him alone to get to God. You're not meant to go to other people necessarily. Can other people be helpful? Can you be helpful to other people? Absolutely. But what's the purpose behind it? And if it's not Jesus Christ, if it's not the kingdom of God, I'll promise you that it'll always, always, always fall short.
Why? Because look unto me. What happens is I have this idea, and it's going to solve all the problems. So everybody look to me. No, you're to look unto Jesus, who is what? The author and the finisher of your faith. And any time man tries to interject themselves in between you and God, what happens is, you know, we end up, the church ends up broken. And if the church is broken, what hope is there for the world to hear the message that's going to mend them? There's no possible way for them to hear it. If the church is using the same uh, uh, ways and means that the world will go by, then it's, and I'm not talking about using video or using those kind of, I'm saying if we take the approach the world does, everybody's accepted, everybody's in, and everybody's ideas, let's just mix it all up in a milkshake, and this is the new, the Corinthian church did that. Paul corrected them numerous times because what they were doing, they were taking the, the beliefs they had in these religions, and they were mixing them with the Christian faith and, and concocting the, basically this cocktail of belief that was no longer Christianity. We're dealing with that in our society today, and, and what I say is, is that there is no hope that broken things can be mended if you don't have a whole gospel. You, you can't have half a gospel and hope that broken things will be mended. You've got to have the full gospel, the whole gospel, for broken things to be mended. What is that? Let, let, let me give you an example. Um, in our day and age, we struggle a lot with... We're called as Christians to love people. And love to love them means to accept them. Correct? Amen? But what we see is we see this change to where it's to love them means to accept them and everything they do and every way that they think. What kind of flies in the face of the gospel because we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Right? Uh, teaching them to obey all I've commanded you to do. Right? Or baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all things I've commanded you to do. Lo, I'm with you even to the end of the age. So when we preach the gospel, what's, what's one of the first steps you take when you come to the Lord, when you place faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone? There's no other name given under heaven whereby men must be saved. Look, I'm talking about understanding Jesus. And the world does not understand the message that says He's the only way and there is no other way. What's the first thing that happened? If you say, you know, I believe that Jesus Christ uh, was crucified, buried, and resurrected. He died on that cross for my sins. There is no other way for my sins to be forgiven but to place faith in the work that he did on the cross. If I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth, Jesus Christ as Lord, I'll be saved. So you're saved. Now what do you do? Anyone? What did Jesus command to do? No, I'm, try, I'm trying to get us on the same track as Christian believers that what's the next step? You give your life to Christ. You believe that he died on the cross for your sins. You accept that sacrifice for your salvation. And then what do you do? Baptize in water, is that correct? Can anybody say amen? And I know that, well, you don't have to be baptized to go to heaven. I've always said that a person that gets saved gives their life to Christ and all of a sudden their first thing is to begin to debate Jesus on what Jesus said to do. I'm wondering about whether or not they made that decision. Why? Because Jesus says to baptize them in the name of the Son and Father, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He himself got baptized and his example to follow. And yet, first thing is, well, I don't have to be baptized. Why do you want to defy what Jesus would say to do 
Why wouldn't you want to follow? If you remain, let me read it again. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you, you are truly my disciples if, say if, if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. you got to remain faithful so that you can come to the point of the truth so the truth can set you free. Now let me show you. Where baptism concerns, look, he wants to mend broken things. And even when we come to him and we're saved, does anybody found out, you know, when they came to the Lord, or maybe it was years ago, but when you came to the Lord, you got saved, you gave your heart to him, but there was still some broken stuff in your life. Huh? You be baptized for the remission of your sins. And in baptism, uh, you know what we do in baptism? The Bible says this. When we come to baptism, we, um, we embrace the hidden things of darkness. Isn't that what it says? No. You renounce. Can anybody tell me what renounce means? Come on. Y'all with me this morning? You got to talk to me just a little bit. We'll be in here all day if you don't get to talking to me. Renounce. What's that? Turn away. Would, would deny be another word? Speak against. Give me some more. There's, there's other synonyms for that. Put away. What's that? Shout it out. Come on, don't be shy. Very good. Renounce. We're putting it behind us. But today, today in this broken world, much of, of the church is preaching a gospel that would say, I gave my life to Jesus and yet still embrace the things of this world, still embrace sin. Now, it doesn't mean we put people down. What I'm saying to you is is that we wonder why people don't get free, they don't get mended, they don't get healed. We wonder why that is. It's because the gospel's been tweaked just enough not to give the part that repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. Can anybody tell me what repent means, Miss Bev? Turn away. Those things which are behind, right? You're forgetting those things which are behind, but that means you're going a different direction. You choose to go a different direction. And where the church today, I believe much of the church in that sense is broken. They would say they're tolerant, but much of the church has become broken in rejecting that part of the gospel that when preached brings conviction because the Holy Spirit is only going to move upon the word of God. He's not going to move upon anything else. He'll move upon the word of God. And when the word of God is proclaimed, here's what I know. When people preach that, that my life and my direction and my ways were not the Lord's ways, but his word defines his ways, and I began to read that, I began to see like, man, I, I, I do that, I do that, I do that. It's like, well, that's legalism. No, what it is is it's the law, the schoolmaster. The Bible says the law is the schoolmaster that brings us to Christ. Why? Because now all of a sudden I see, man, I, this is sin in my life, and this is sin in my life, and this is sin in my life. And this. People don't want us to point out sin. Am I right or wrong? Don't point out the sin. Just, just give me, tell me how Jesus is going to bless me. And I want you to know Jesus wants to bless you, and he will bless you. But it's so important for us to see that there's a distinction. There's a very different look to what wholeness in Christ and life in Christ and blessing in Christ looks like. And what the world would want to uh, mix in with the gospel to say, well, we can have all this ourselves." All I know is that every time man thought he could get to God his own way, 
It didn't turn out so good. He found himself in a worse state than he was before. And it's so important for us to go to the Word of God and trust the Word of God alone to be what guides us and directs us, or we'll never know what it means to be whole. Amen? We see broken individuals around us all the time. I see them all the time. And maybe part of that is is that knowing that Jesus came as a physician to seek and to save the lost, to heal the sick. He didn't come uh, for those that didn't need healing, but he came for those who needed healing. When I see broken individuals, I'm talking about, I can see people in emotional, just depression. You think about, um, you know, counseling and all those things that go on in our society today. Those things are on the rise. And it's good. I mean, let me say that if a person can't understand themselves and they can't come to some of those thoughts, then what hope do they have that they'll ever be able to understand when the gospel is presented to them? It's very important for us to understand uh, the human mind and the way we think and the way we, we feel. But outside of that, it's important to have the answer for the person that goes way beyond just their feelings and, and what they think uh, to the point of being transformed and changed by the power of God's Spirit. So broken individuals, we see that emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually. Broken families, we see broken trust, broken relationships, um, uh, broken expectations. Uh, what we thought people ought to do and then they don't do in, in, in our familial relationships. And, and uh, we find ourselves in, in turmoil and dysfunction as families. Uh, broken society, we see broken systems, morality, uh, uh, the legal system, we see the ups and downs of all of that. We see broken governments. And again, talking about the wars, we see, you know, the brokenness that comes through war and calamity. A broken earth, a broken earth. We see a broken earth um, from the standpoint, uh, if you think about it, the Bible says that the whole earth groans and travails and awaits the manifestation of the sons of God. Sons of God being a term that sonship, sons and daughters of God, family of God. Awaiting the manifestation of the sons, awaiting for us, the church, awaiting for that moment when, when all comes together to manifest the kingdom of God in this earth. The whole earth is waiting for the moment when Jesus returns for all of us. The Bible says that it groans and travails like a woman in labor. Earthquakes, floods, right? Hurricanes. All this stuff going on is, is part of the, the way everything was subjected in the fall. And you think about it this way. Um, if you think about when, when the earth fell, uh, when, when Adam fell, uh, the earth was subjected to the curse because of Adam's act. How do we know that? God says, no longer will you... You're no longer going to be in the garden. Now you're going to earn a living by what? The sweat of your... And the earth will no longer uh, you know, yield the fruit and all that. You're going to have to work that stuff, but now the earth is going to yield what? What's it going to do? Thistles and thorns. I mean, it's basically, like I said, all you got to do is live in Colorado and you get it. Because you can work your little hind end off trying to get grass to grow in your yard and weeds are popping up everywhere. This property out here, I just want to turn everything into concrete. 
because it is a nightmare, man. I mean, it's what they call the, the, the tumbleweed thing and all these weeds that grow out here. I just, like, we seeded the front with grass and somehow weeds come in. It's because the earth is subjected to that fall. And all these things that are happening, they're going to happen. Jesus said they're going to happen. But that broken earth, uh, Jesus, um, he definitely came for the broken earth as well. Let me give you the definition of the word mend. It's the verb repair, something that is broken or damaged, to fix, put back together, restore, stitch, rehabilitate, renew, renovate, return to health, heal, improve. Its origin is the English mend or amend. Um, Mark 16 if you've ever read it, it says that these signs will follow them that believe. They'll, excuse me, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. If you go and you actually do some word study on that, you'll find out there's a word there and it's going to say amend. Now, instantaneous healing, miracle of instantaneous healing is one thing. Laying hands on the sick and they shall recover. Recover being there, they'll amend. There's a restoration. So, there's process to that, that healing that you pray for people. And they've said that um, they've done scientific research that uh, people in the hospital actually listening to worship music or the, you know, they're praying with uh, loved ones and family and friends. Uh, they've said that they actually can track like a positive uh, uptick in their, I think it's their white blood cells. And, and, and their body actually recovers faster, amends faster. Why? Because the Bible says in Mark 16 that you lay hands on the sick and they shall amend. They'll recover. And with that, in Psalms 147 and 3, this is what the Bible says. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Again, that mending, putting back together. God desires to put us back together to heal us. Mark 2, 17, when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick, pe- sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. That's what I was just talking about a moment ago. Here's the thing. How will a person know they're sick if they never hear the truth? And when they, they hear the truth, not everybody's going to accept the truth, but the moment that somebody hears the truth and it's like, you know, that's true. That's where I, I'm broken. I'm a sinner. It's when you know you're a sinner that you accept the fact that you need a Savior. It's like, I'm not a sinner. Why would you ever need a Savior if you don't see yourself as a sinner? If you don't see yourself as broken, why will you ever need a mender? But the moment you begin to recognize how broken you are, then that need begins to arise and causes you to call out, to look, to search, to find a mender. And interesting enough, all it takes is a shift in attitude and you don't have to go very far searching and looking. Why? Because he's always been there, waiting, knocking, right? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open up, if any man will open up, who's the power given to for, for all that Jesus offers? Who's the power given to uh, for the change to be made? It's us. He's knocking at the door, but it's us that has to open the door. The only reason we open the door is if we have reason to open the door. When we recognize how broken we are, we see that need, 
and turning to just look. It's like, is there a mender? Is there a savior? That's the opening that you have to be open to. Jesus says you're savior. And trust me, the moment that you're open to it, Jesus will reveal himself for all that he is. <clears throat> I was at the gym a couple weeks ago. I often in the steam room, you, I don't know about you, but do you ever have like, I guess I just have one, I don't know, a face, look, something that causes somebody to just want to tell me all their problems in life. Anybody? I'm in the steam room. Kicking back, getting my sweat on. Oh, this feels so good. I've seen you around here a lot. Yeah, come pretty regular. It's kind of, I decompress here. Yeah, so do I. You know, man, my son just starts dropping it all on. I'm like, okay. All right, hold on a second. Let me get in my pastor mindset, not in my relaxed mindset. You know, and I listen. And And here's the thing. Listen. I don't know that I'm doing this message justice today. But the thing is, is, um, you know, because we get videoed, I want to be careful. I know we post these things online. But when that dad starts pouring out, you know, how broken and just fragmented his family is. I just, you know, my heart just grieves. I grew up in broken and fragmented family. God's given me such a blessing to have a family that's not broken and fragmented. My kids love each other. They love their mother. They, you know, they're not perfect. Just get that on tape. <laughs> they're not perfect. They've made mistakes. They're broken. And I, you know, I think that's the thing is it's like, that's my greatest lessons is how much I love my kids when they do stupid things or they would, they would make mistakes or they would rebel, whatever it was, it was like, you know, but I love them so stinking much, I'd give my own life for them to be able to get this right. Come on. And I can't, it's like, they're my kids, I can't give up on them. Come on now. I feel that way as a father I can't even compare to our Heavenly Father and how He feels towards us. But when my kids made those mistakes, I love you so much, you can mess up and just screw your life up all you want. Did I ever do that? That's why God's Word to us, when we read it, it is going to do uh, three things according to the New Testament. It's going to correct, it's going to reprove, and it's going to instruct. Can you tell me how many of those words have a positive feel to them? One. The other two, he's going to what? Correct. Reprove me? You know, I'm, I'm thinking the correction, like, hey, stop doing that. I'm thinking the reprove, you know, whatever. I don't know. But the instruction, like, hey, this is the way you want to go. Where the Bible says, you know, that you'll hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walking in. It's like the instruction of God, if we're yielded to the Spirit of God. Reading the Word of God, we'll hear His voice. And we'll go where He's telling us to go. And we won't go to the left, and we won't go to the right, but we'll keep our eyes fixed on Him. 
We recognize that his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And so we're careful in letting the word illuminate the steps we're taking and where we're going. We're not willing to, to, to remove ourselves from gaining insight and understanding from God's word because we know that every step we take, you know, is a determination of where I'm going to go. And if I say that I want to go and I want to follow Jesus and I want to represent the kingdom and I want to show forth God's love and his compassion and his truth and his mercy and his grace, all those wonderful things, if I want to show that forth, I know that every step I take is so, so important for that to be the destination that I arrive to. Can you say amen? What's that destination I speak of? One of wholeness, not brokenness. And I'll say this, I... I'm still broken just like everybody in here, but I know one thing. One day I'll be made whole completely, right? There won't, I won't be contending with anything anymore, but it's kind of like that journey that you're on. It's like each step, and you might have a little this, but, you know, back in the Word, you're in the Word, and so the Word corrects you. The Spirit of God will speak, and you'll be on track. And what's Jesus doing in that, by the way? Do you know every time we submit to the Word of God in our life, we're being mended? Do you know that rebellion is a broken state of mankind's nature? Rebellion is not something that was given by God. Rebellion was not in our design. But every place you feel if it starts to come in and we want to rebel against what God wants in our life, do you know that the moment that we choose to be obedient, we choose to open the door and let Jesus come in and change us and we walk in obedience even though we may not feel like we want to? All of a sudden, we're made a lot more whole than we were. Why? Because we're being transformed and changed by God's word and God's spirit into the likeness and image of his son, Jesus Christ. It takes a yielded vessel to be molded by a potter, correct? Right? Clay in the potter's hands, if you will. If he's the potter and we're the clay... According to Jeremiah, the prophet, you know, he's trying to make a work in us, but you got to yield to the potter. Yeah, I don't, does anybody watch those videos online? I'm, I'm thinking about taking up pottery. It's really kind of cool, man, you know, it's like, you know, and the next thing you know, they got this, you know, God is so good at that, but the clay has got to yield to the potter's hands. And you see this all of a sudden, this potter's working on something and it kind of gets out of balance. And it's wobbling, and then it gets all messed up, and so the potter, he just kind of smashes it down. You ever felt smashed down by God? Like, dag on. Like, why am I at this place in my life? Because he's trying to work a work in you. And it's not God smashing you, if you will. It's God trying to form you into his son's image. He's trying to make you like Christ. So let me give you a few things, four things here, um, where it comes to Jesus as the mender. And we talked about broken individuals, broken families, broken society, and a broken earth. And so the first thing I want to look at there is Jesus mends individuals. He mends individuals. Many ways he does it. Today, the example I want to give you in John 9, 1 through 3. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. This individual, sitting by the roadside, blind, others are 
they have their assessment of him, but Jesus knows exactly what he's capable of doing. When Jesus said, neither this man's parents nor him have, have sinned, does that mean that his parents or he had never sinned? The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Isn't that right? What I'm saying is Jesus' focus isn't the sin. Jesus' focus is the miracle of mending what sin produced. So where they, they want to lay blame. See, all too often we want to lay blame. The goal isn't to lay blame. We've got to point out the, the problem. But in pointing out the problem, like it, it's not obvious as they're sitting there having the conversation. Everybody's acknowledging he's blind. That blindness is the result of sin, but it's not because his parents or him sinned, but rather so that the glory of God could be manifest in that individual in that moment so that all could see God's glory and that he is a mender, not a condemner. The second thing, Jesus mends families. Luke 4, 38 through 39. Now he rose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house. But Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever, and they made a request to him concerning her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she arose and served them. Now, pretty interesting. All I know is if I'm laid out under a fever, you know, this woman gets healed, and she jumps up, and she starts taking care of everybody. Jesus cared about Simon Peter's family. He's at the synagogue doing exactly what they do, and he shows up at the house, and more than likely, you know, just like we will finish church here today, and where are you going to go? You're probably going to go eat somewhere, right? Well, they probably went over there to eat, and here she has a fever, and, and what does Jesus do? He cares. He mends the family. You ever had somebody really sick in your family? All right? Wouldn't you? do anything you could like man i wish that whatever i could do to make him feel better you'd find yourself serving the sick person but when jesus shows up he'll mend your family and what happens is is those that you know are down and out will end up rising to serve to be a part of what's going on in the midst of the family now as the customs were of course you know back then you know uh they would serve the men the way that it worked. And that's basically, here she is, she just got healed by Jesus, and she jumps to exactly what she would be doing if she felt good. And, and the testimony is this. For Peter, think about it. Um, he obviously cared about his mother-in-law, men, husbands. <laughs> Peter cared about his mother-in-law, and in the midst of that, Jesus heals her because he cares about mending families. Listen to this, Luke seven eleven through 15. Now it happened the day after that, he went into the city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him, and a large crowd, and when they had come near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was lying, or excuse me, being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, young man, I say, uh, I say to you, arise. So he, um, so he who was dead sat up and began to speak, and he presented him to his mother. Now, Jesus cares about family. So when Jesus comes into Nain, um, and, they're, and they're carrying this dead guy, here's a widow. Now she doesn't even have her son to take care of her. And if you understand, again, those customs... 
she kind of on her own, man. Because, you know, husband's going to take care of you. Husband dies, the son takes care of you, and she's left basically to herself as a widow. And so Jesus comes on the scene, and what does he do? He heals or raises her son from the dead and mends that family. Where it was broken, he mended it. I could go into many examples. One of the things that I would say here is that if you've ever read the, the, the story of the prodigal son, and we know that story is to, to give us insight to the fact that how God sees us, that, that though we live prodigal lives, we go live our own way and in in, in all that we want to do um, when we come to the end of ourselves. And look, for some, that may be when they're lying on their deathbed and they're going, man, you know what, I've lived my life the way I want, but where am I going from here? Point is, is at some point or another, people wrestle with that question, what's going to happen to me after this life? And when they wrestle with that question, they've actually come to the end of themselves. And what we know, the story of the prodigal, when he came to the end of himself, he, it, it, no one would help him. Basically, he's at the end of anything other men can do for him. He came to himself and his mind went back to thinking about his father and how good it was with his father. What we know in that story that the son in his repentance, he comes to himself in his heart, repentance begins to take hold of him and what he does, he wants to run back home. But he's saying to himself, when I get home, I won't consider to be his son. I'll say to my father, you know, I've sinned against you and heaven. Y'all tracking with me today? He, he, He recognized he was broken. And when he recognized he was broken... It set him on course to encounter what it is to mend with family. And when he came home, he didn't even get to his father. His father ran to him. And his son began to cry out, Father, I've sinned against you in heaven, and I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Sees his father running to him, which isn't the custom. Again, the the custom there, men do not undignify. He hikes up his gown, right? They, They wore the... The, the gown, he hikes up his gown, he runs to his son because he sees him coming from afar off. That's the attitude of God. See, God giving his son, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. And what you have to understand is he hung on that cross and lost every bit of dignity. His robe wasn't hiked up, they stripped it off of him and they beat him. In piercing his skin, in piercing his side, in all that he took, everything that Jesus took where he was being broken, it was because he was on the mend for mankind. Why? Because God cares about mending families. Number three, Jesus mends society. Now, uh, in that, when I say the word society, we would say church, uh, um, government, um, uh, community, school, you know, society, everything going on. He's like trying to get everybody. Yeah, the word that I would say for society is this, can't we all just get along, right? And, and the answer is most of the time not. You know, people are fighting about something and this person has that and I want that and you need to give me this and, you know, all this goes back and forth because society is broken. And even where the church is concerned, society is broken with regard to um, the benefit of, of the church. When you think about 
let's take God out of the schools, prayer out of the schools. Let's take God off our money. Let's, let's remove God from everything. Let's take the Ten Commandments out of uh, our courtrooms. Let's just take God out of everything, and, and we'll become a, um, you know, just a, um, what do you call it? Um, secular a secular society rather than a society that is made up of all the, the different aspects that, that bring health. You know, do, do you need government? Yes, yeah, sure, we need government. Do you need education? Yes, we need education. Do you need churches? Yes, we need churches. You know, um, it comes down to it where, where Jesus uh, comes to men's society, you got to understand that for the children of, of Israel, if you will, the Jews, the Sanhedrin, uh, you had certain lawyers and Pharisees that Jesus spoke to often. And a lot of the stories you read, and he spoke to certain lawyers and Pharisees, right? In other words, that was the law they lived by for their country. And yes, they had a king, and he had all his decrees, and all those things played in as well. But as all that went on, you know that you can go back and read all kinds of moments where prophets would stand up. Uh, the governor, the priests, and the prophets stood and, and they proclaimed. You have government, right? You have uh, um, local churches and, if you will, kind of what would have been the social services of their time. They're the ones that dealt with the social needs of their, their uh, communities. And in that, the prophets. What were the prophets there to do? Oftentimes, the prophet would say, the reason why everything is so broken is because you've turned away from the Lord. So turn back to the Lord, and what he'll do is he'll come and restore your land, right? Isn't that, isn't that right? If my people who are called by my name will turn from their evil ways, right, will humble themselves and pray and turn from their evil ways, then, say then, then I'll come and heal. I'll come and do what? I'll come and mend their land. When I look at the brokenness of our, our nation, I look at all that's going on in our world today, Jesus is the only answer to that. And if his people, look, if those who believe will remain faithful to my teachings, right, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Is it any different than what was being proclaimed in the Old Testament? Jesus was proclaiming that for his church, that if we keep his teachings first and we're faithful to those, what's going to happen is, is he's going to come and he'll continue, he will do exactly what he promised to do. And wouldn't you like to see the church lead the way on helping mend the hearts and instill the violence and anger and hate? And wouldn't you like to see that? I'd like to see that. But it can't just be with enticing words of men's wisdom. It's got to be in demonstration and power of the Holy Spirit. It means the power of the Spirit of God has got to be working through you. And that only comes if we are yielded to the Holy Spirit. It can't be like, well, I'll fix this. No, uh, God, use me to fix whatever you can in my family, in society, at my school, at my workplace. Let me be basically a conduit of your mending power for our society. Listen to this in Luke 14, 1 through 6. Now, it happened as he uh, went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, that they watched him closely, and behold... There was a certain man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they kept silent. And he took him and he healed him. And he let him go. 
Then he answered them, saying, Which one of you, having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit, will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him regarding these things. Interesting that the, basically what Jesus was saying is, look, the system, the, the, law, the legal system, um, the religious system, if you will, is broken. And the reason why it's broken is you would go out for your own self-interest and you'd pull a donkey out of the ditch, but you don't value a human life. You, you, don't, you don't value your fellow brother or your sister and hold them in, with higher regard than you would your own possessions. And so the reality of it is, is that system's broken. And this is Jesus, of course, earlier we, we read about. This is Jesus, of course. He's been criticized for eating with sinners and publicans. He's criticized because he hangs out with these people. And this is another situation. Here's this guy on the Sabbath. He's at a Pharisee's house. One, matter of fact, one of the, the, the leaders of the Pharisees. So he's in one of the high guy's homes. And they're all hanging out. And basically they're going to eat bread together. And here's this man with dropsy. And they're all watching him to see what he would do. Listen, believers. If you believe in the Lord, people are going to watch what you do. Well, you can't pray at work. You can't pray at school for people. You can't. You, you get the, our system is, is saying basically the same thing that that system said to Jesus. That society was saying to him that it's not right to heal on the Sabbath. But you'd go out and you'd do this, wouldn't you? Well, Christian, it's not right for you to pray in your school. Christian, it's not right for you to share your faith at your workplace. You can lose your job for that. We'll punish you. We'll persecute you if you actually live your faith out in such a way that other people will believe that, that you believe it. That you're so convinced of it that it goes everywhere with you, not some places with you. Come on, give me an amen if you know what I'm talking about. That's the society we're living in, and I'm telling you that if we want to see the power of God working, we've got to be willing to stand against that. And I, Look, Jesus wasn't rude, but he sure didn't comply. You all hear me on that. He wasn't rude. He just didn't comply. He did. The Bible says this about him. He only did what he saw the Father doing. Do you know what the Father is doing today? Can anybody tell me what the Father's doing today? Anyone? That's good. You're going to hear that scripture in a minute. Let, let me say this. Do you know that God the Father, what he was doing in Jesus then, and what he's doing in us today, is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore? It's like, well, I don't know what he's doing for sure. You go read the life of Jesus, and this is what Jesus did. Well, Jesus was God with us, Emmanuel, and that's what he did, and and what he said, because he was the son of God, and he said, I only do what I see the Father doing. And we get in this mindset that says, but, you know, see, remember, we don't want to misunderstand Jesus. Isn't that right? We want to understand Jesus. And when we understand Jesus, we'll know the truth, and the truth will set us free. We get to live our life the way God intended it to be. And so when I look at, when I read my Bible, or I look at the life of Jesus, and I'm thinking, well, what am I supposed to be doing today? Well, I only want to do what the Father's doing. What is that? The same yesterday, today, and forevermore. In other words, I can trust what God's Word says. I can trust reading about the life of Christ, and this is how he moved with compassion for people. This is how he cared for people. This is how he mended people. 
And what happens, the mender doesn't just mend me. All of a sudden, I become an agent, a, a person that he can use for the mending of other people's hearts. Can you say amen? Number four, Jesus will mend the earth. Make no mistake about it. Now, the earth is going to go through a whole the earth is going to go through a whole lot more before that final moment comes. You know, you get all the folks worried about global warming. Anybody read the book of Revelation yet? I want you to know we haven't seen global warming on the scale that it's going to come one day. The Bible says the whole earth will actually be consumed with fire. It's called the renovation of the earth by fire, and then there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Now, I don't know if you all knew this. Did you know this? Yesterday... You missed it. Who knows about that? You missed it yesterday because we got one of those folks out there again saying, I know exactly when the world is going to end, and it's the 23rd of September, 2007. Is that right? Yesterday was 23rd? Yeah. I missed it. No. (laughs) I saw that, and I'm like, whatever. Hey, the guy who wrote 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 88, right? Egg on his face. He started saying some other stuff some, sometime in the early 2000s. He was doing something else. And, of course, that didn't pan out either, right? How many of you got caught up in the whole Y2K? Like, oh, my God, the whole thing's coming to an end. You know when it's going to end? I can give you the date it's going to end. When God turns to his son and says, go. When he tells his son to come back to the earth. That's what the Bible says. Not even the son knows. He said that's in the end. His disciples are asking him. And it's not even in his hands. I don't know what I was doing with that. Oh, he'll mend the earth, yes. (laughs) Good Lord, sometimes. All because somebody said that the world's ending on the 23rd of September. Anytime somebody nails a date for you, especially if they tag a time to it, just go to the bank. (laughs) Stay away from them. You know what you want to do? If you want to know exactly what to do concerning the end, I'll give you the key to know that you have no concern when the end comes. Stay close to Jesus. Stay near to Jesus. Read his word. Know who he is. If all you can do this year is get a red letter edition Bible and only read the red print, everything that Jesus said and did, if that's all you do, I promise you, you'll be a whole lot further than you've ever been. Get close to Jesus and you don't have any concerns for where things are going to end. He'll mend the earth. Listen to this out of Acts 3.21. Whom heaven, this is referring to Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time of the restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Yesterday, today, forevermore. Here's the thing. God has known the end from the beginning. He's not like clueless about how this is all going to work. But in the midst of it, If you remain faithful to my teachings, our faithfulness is being tested. Our faithfulness is like, well, why is God testing me? I don't know. Do you ever test your kids to make sure they're growing up and that they can stand on their own two feet? How many of you, like, your baby starts to walk and you put them right next to a glass coffee table and say, yeah, go for it? I don't know about you, but when they start to walk, anybody else? So you're testing whether or not they can do it. God won't put more on you than you can handle. Sometimes you feel like, I don't know if I agree with that scripture. But he won't. I guarantee every, every trial, every situation you go through, 
if you find yourself looking to Jesus and, and trusting, and you know what, Lord, I'm going to look to your word, I'm going to trust you, and I'll know you see me through this, I want you to know that your faithfulness to his teachings is bringing you to the point of knowing his truth in the midst of all that is going on around you. And by the way, if you don't go through things, how are you going to help somebody else that is? <laughs> if if you, your faith's never been tested to the point of having to trust God and come through something, how are you going to reach to somebody that's going through something and may not have faith in God? How are you going to help them come to faith in God? Come to, look, I know you have no hope, but you can have hope. You're going to have hope in the midst of your situation, even though it looks hopeless, because God is bigger than your situation, and he'll see you through. Amen? Revelation 21, 1 through 5. Man, oh man, is this a scripture. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God, listen, here's the promise. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Listen. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Remember one of the synonyms for mend. Renew. God makes all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are what? True and faithful. See, this is what the, the end will look. This is what every, the culmination of it all looks like. But I want you to grasp two words in that passage. Right. If you, what's, what's the teachings of Jesus? They're written, isn't that correct? If you will remain faithful to my teachings, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And if you look in this passage, this is saying, write these things. This is what's going to happen because they're faithful and they're true. No, that's the destination for someone who places their trust in Christ obeys, becomes faithful to his teachings and pursues those and you're heading towards that place to where those, that faithfulness and the truth leads you into what? A final culmination of what? Faithful and true sayings that this is what's going to happen. This is where it's all going to be. And it doesn't really matter what you go through in this life if you can know that this is where it's all going to end up. What does it matter what this life does to us. I mean, we may hurt by it. There may be moments that, that we just don't like it. But the reality is we've got to live for so much more than just the moment. And I want you to know this. It's when you can come to that place that you understand in Christ that when I'm looking at who he is and all that he is and all that will be, that I don't lose hope in a momentary situation in my life. I maintain hope, and I've already shared with you a couple weeks ago that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so ultimately, the key to living the fullness that God has for us in that, to understand that what Jesus is doing is that if we can keep our eyes fixed on that, 
then we have a greater opportunity to see our situation changed by faith because we haven't lost hope. Amen? So, uh, closing statement here, Jesus is mending and restoring all things. Write that down. He's mending. This is what he's at work doing right now. He's mending and restoring all things. And then we have a choice. We have a choice to be a part of what he is doing and experience the blessing that comes from it. He's not going to make you do it. It is your choice to do it. Now listen to this final scripture and then we'll close in prayer. Stand to your feet as I read this, if you would. And everything that I've said to you today, I want you to just close your eyes right now so that nothing but that gets in. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. And I thank you that you are a mender of broken things. Father, you're a mender of broken people. So, Father, I pray for all of us as individuals, those areas that we may have, God, in our life that, Lord, we know, like, you know, that's, a, that's just a broken area of my life, and I'd like to get it fixed. Father, I pray right now by the power of the Holy Spirit, whether it be those areas, Father, where people feel that individually, they know that, Father, be it depression, Lord, a, a feeling of betrayal, whatever might be there, that, God, you, by the power of your Spirit would heal would mend that area of their life. And I'm praying right now that even for us as individuals, you reveal the steps that we need to take, the, the things that we could maybe do, Father, for ourselves as individuals in our walk with you. God, the way we read your word. God, the way we invite others into our life to, to help us with our walk. God, you would, you would help us to see that and accept it in Jesus' name. Gotta pray for our families. I pray for marriages, God. I pray for families, their kids. God, maybe mistakes or broken areas, Lord, that are there. I pray your grace, Father, would overshadow our families. God, I pray even more uh, than that, that your grace would overshadow families throughout Colorado Springs. God, right now, send your angels who are ministering spirits. Sent forth, God to minister to those who are heirs of salvation. Father, there's not one person in Colorado Springs that, Lord, salvation wasn't meant for. Jesus, you died that all come to know. And so, Lord, because of that, we as a church intercede for our city, for the families in our city, that your angels would surround their homes, God, work in their lives. God, every single one of them would hear your spirit speak, come to the Lord. That Lord, they would be just like Peter who got a revelation of who you are. That God, they would get a revelation of who Jesus is. I pray you'd fill every church and Lord, that even more and more churches would be raised up in our city. And that Father, 
it wouldn't be seven out of ten don't attend, but God, seven out of ten do attend. Seven out of ten are professing Christians, not seven out of ten aren't. Father, I pray for our, our society. I pray for all the, God, the craziness that all of us are seeing right now. Such tension. Saints, I'm asking you to just stretch your faith out on this one as we pray it. Because it does, it breaks my heart to see such brokenness, hate, and anger. God, right now, by your Spirit, I know other churches are praying too. We join our prayers, God, with every church throughout this nation, praying for this anger and divided just discord, God, in our country. We are the United States of America. It was named that for a purpose. And we pray, God, that your spirit would move on our country, would move on its people, move on our leaders. We pray for our leaders. We may not agree with everything. We may be frustrated with some things. But God, your word commands that we pray for our leaders. So we pray for them. God, move on our leaders. Move in their hearts. You're the one that declared that the hand of the king is in the the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord and he'll turn it whichever way he desires so Father as your people we believe your word says that when we humble ourselves and we pray we turn from our wicked ways that you'll come and heal our land and so Lord we're asking you to come and heal come mend our land mend the divide bring people together to work for the benefit of all the American people Father for people around the world this country sent more missionaries into the world than any other country in history. God, don't let that heritage fall by the wayside. Lord, help us to cultivate it in prayer so that, Lord, you'd move on our land again. And that, Lord, we see revival move across this land. We'd see men and women and boys and girls come to know the Lord. And that no man, Father, glory in that revival, but God, you get all the glory. I pray for the churches of our city, the churches of this country, God, the uncompromised word of God would be preached. I'm reminded of Charles Finney who said that there are way too many who line up to give false comfort to sinners when all they need to do is hear the truth, the conviction might overtake their heart and that they would turn and know that Jesus, their Savior, has come to give them life. Father, I pray that, Lord, we would never be taken up by people who lie and wait to deceive or mislead for profit or gain or notoriety. That, God, none of us would ever set our hearts uh, or minds on someone proclaiming when you're coming back but we would truly fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We'd stay close to you. We'd follow your word. That, Lord, that your people would not fret, try and figure it all out, but just trust in faith that as they love you with all their heart, all their mind, God, all their soul and strength, God, you're going to take care of them. 
We love you, we adore you, we praise your holy and mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Hey, God bless you. Enjoy your week.